Welcome to this week's podcast. My guest on Facing the Canon is Sam Aubrey, pastor, teacher, and apologist. Sam Aubrey, welcome to Facing the Canon. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad to be here. I'm delighted to have you here. Well, let's start with your Christian faith. Where did that start, Sam? Uh, That started the week I turned 18. Um, I heard the message of Jesus. And the first time I heard the message of Jesus, I knew it was true. Um, I hadn't heard the gospel before. I'd been on the fence as a teenager about whether God even existed. But the first time I heard the message of Jesus, it just rang true in my heart and began to investigate it over the coming weeks and then realized this this was someone I wanted to to give my life to. This was someone I, I could trust with the whole of my life. Well, you ended up going into the ministry. How how were you led into that? Did that come as a surprise? <laughs> uh, totally. I, I grew up with a with a with a significant fear of public speaking. I was terrified of it. Um, I was a, more than usual for a teenager. I was just in painfully self conscious, and so avoided anything that would 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 put me on a stage with people looking at me. I just did not want to be seen by people. Um, and so I went to considerable lengths to avoid having to do any public speaking. Um, after I became a Christian, a few months after, it was, it was common at my church that occasionally you'd hear someone's story, someone would be interviewed about how they came to faith. And six months after I became a Christian, my, my pastor said, would you be happy for me to interview you in one of the services? And I thought, well, when your pastor asks, you say yes. So I said yes, but thinking, I don't want to do that. And I remember the, you know, counting down the weeks until that Sunday and just the, the anxiety and the, the stress kind of increasing towards that particular day. Um, when the moment came, I actually just found myself feeling peaceful and calm. I thought, this is, this is actually okay. Um, I realized for the first time in my life, I had something I wanted to say in front of other people. Um, and after the service had, had finished and most people had already sort of begun to leave, the, the pastor came up to me and he said, you're going to be a preacher. And that thought had never occurred to me prior to then. That was not the trajectory. That was a curveball. That was. But as soon as he said that, something in my heart confirmed it as being true. I just thought, I am going to be a preacher. And that's basically been the desire of my heart. Since, since since that then. moment, is I've 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 had no doubt since then that that's what God wants me to do. Let's continue our conversation with um, some of your books. I've uh, fascinating books that you have written. This one is God anti-gay. Now you wrote this a few years ago yep. what prompted you to write this yeah that was a that was a hard book to write um as you'll know speaking into that kind of conversation is is fraught with all kinds of sensitivities yeah. and and things like that but um it, it's been part of my own narrative um before I became a Christian, I, I'd become aware that I was attracted to guys and not attracted to girls. Uh, as a Christian, I then had to figure out what following Jesus, you know, meant for that part of life and to bring that to Jesus. Um, 
And so I, I never really had any desire to talk about that. But as, as the kind of cultural changes were happening 10 years ago, um, I, I just felt a burden to say that, that the words Jesus has for people in my situation are good words. And I thought we need, we need some people from, who can speak into this topic from within, within it, from inside of it. So, and, and what did you sense Jesus was saying and Jesus says today about that? Well, Jesus says that, well, lots of things, but he, he says all of us are broken in this part of life. So none, none of us is off the hook here. All of us are in the same boat in that sense. All of us are, are, are broken in our sexuality. All of us have very disordered desires and, and longings. Um, so there's no... There's no basis for Christians to be feeling smug or judgmental because all of us need the grace of Jesus on this. Jesus does say some challenging things about the context for sex and that being within marriage between a man and a woman, things that are are really hard for us to hear in our own day and age. Um, But he also shows us that um, what we have in him always spectacularly outweighs whatever we have to leave behind to follow him. Whenever, yes. whenever anyone turns to Jesus, you turn to Jesus, you, you always are turning away from other things and he's always worth it. So it's costly for anyone to follow Jesus. Um, I, I felt the cost of, of discipleship in this area of life, but everybody feels it in some aspect of life. Um, so I've, I've never felt as though I've got a worse deal out of this than anybody else because sure. Jesus demands everything of all of us and he offers everything to all of us. So I have no complaints. His... Um, and Sam, what's been the outcome for you with regard to this issue? Well, I, I wrote that book really not knowing if I could write that book, um, but eventually it somehow ended up getting published. So I must have done. Um, and I hadn't appreciated as I was writing now, that book came out in 2013, which feels like a very long time ago now. I hadn't realized just how much the, the global church needed this kind of conversation. And so it's been something I've, I've tried to give time to and to try to help um, strengthen the church. I, I, I always say that churches should be places of, of, of clarity and of compassion and of, of deep community. And so anything I can do to help churches be like that, I'm, I'm keen to do. And what would you say, Sam, is the biblical position when it comes to same-sex attraction? What, what is it? Yeah, well, well, Jesus shows us that the only context for sexual intimacy is, is within marriage between a man and a woman. So he, he's very clear on that. He, he talks about that in places like Matthew 19. Um, but again, he also shows us that, that none of us have um, kept God's law in this area of life. All of us have desires we need to say no to. All of us need his grace and forgiveness. But that is part of what he says about sexual ethics. And so for, for me, as I became a Christian, you know, I, I had to, to come to terms with that and to think, OK, it won't be appropriate for me to explore that kind of intimacy with another man. Um, I, I, I need to follow Jesus on this. And that's not always, not always been easy, but I've always known, I've always known that I, can, I really can trust him. 
Yes. And so I've never struggled with that because the thing that brought me to Jesus was knowing I really could trust him. I mean, he he died for me and risen again for me. Yeah. Um, he knows me better than I know myself. He he loves me more than I love myself. He's more committed to my ultimate joy than, than even I am. Um, and therefore I can trust him. And you've chosen currently a path of celibacy when it comes to this area. Yeah, because the, the, the two options for any believer are, are to have a, a, a marriage as, as God defines it or to be single and, and therefore sexually abstinent. Yes. And, and the Bible says that both of those things are good gifts of God. Both are, are ways of glorifying him and honouring him and, and serving him. Another of your books, Why Does God Care Who I Sleep With? So... <laughs> Why? What's the answer to that then, Sam? Yeah, uh, the answer to that simply is that God cares who we sleep with because he cares about the people who are doing the sleeping. Um, he loves us. Um, this is a, an area of life that is not insignificant. And so we, we would want the God who knows us and who made us to care about this. Um, sexuality is, is a significant part of what it means to be human. Uh, we can do a lot of damage to ourselves and to others if we if we don't understand God's design for it. So it's because he loves us, he cares about this. Um, so what, what prompted you to tackle this and uh, to come up with this title? Yeah, I, I'd been doing work for a number of years as, a, as an apologist as, and as an evangelist and was just finding that question kept coming up. Um, whatever you were doing a talk on, if there was a Q&A afterwards, one of the questions would be some version of that. Um, and particularly as we've 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 come into an era in the Western world, at least, where we're very committed to forms of, of justice, where there's lots of issues that we care about, it's natural for people to think, well, surely God has bigger fish to fry than than what I do in my bedroom. Um, and so it's a it's a natural question for people to ask. Um, and I think as well, the fact that we are in a post Me Too kind of cultural moment as well. I think means people are, I'm seeing people are more open to hearing what, what Jesus says in response to that question. And if you could concisely sum it up, how does he view it? Yeah, well, well, Jesus says, Jesus is the most challenging person there is on this issue and he's the most dignifying. So Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount that if we look at someone with, with lustful intent, in other words, if we if we turn them and their sexuality into something that we consume, if we turn it into a commodity, if we turn them into a commodity, we're, we're going against God's design for us, which is challenging because Jesus says that's what all of us instinctively do in our hearts. That's just what we do as people. But I then realized Jesus is saying something beautiful by implication about the person who's being looked at. It's challenging for the person doing the looking, but for the person who's being looked at, Jesus is saying, they have a sexual dignity that is so precious to him, it, it mustn't be violated, even in the privacy of someone else's mind. So he, he challenges us, but he also dignifies us. And again, I, I think in a, in a kind of post-Me Too world, that, that message is one people are, are eager to hear. And within the Beatitudes, he says, the pure shall see God. Yeah. And sadly, Sam... We live in a world that's very polluted yeah. and very toxic. 
and all the time it's like we're drinking unfiltered pollution aren't we yeah and, and we're producing it as well and we're producing our own it hearts. yeah so we, we we will not be able to see god left to our own devices uh, we, we need god to come in and to, to put a new a new nature in our hearts so that we can begin to not just see him but see his ways and love his ways and see the beauty of of who he is and find that more captivating than than anything else but while we're here on earth sam how can we have pure hearts and pure minds how can we be cleaner how can we yeah. get rid of this pollution well we need jesus to do that for us um and and that's part of of why he's come is to is to bear in himself on the cross our dirt and our shame and our guilt and our sin so that we can then be rinsed through with his with his goodness with his obedience with his righteousness with his purity and he he can make us clean in god's sight through his death and he can make us clean in our own actual behavior bit by bit slowly by slowly um as we as we look at him and follow him we one of the things we see in the whole bible is that we we become like the things we look at and the way to become pure is to look at the one who is perfect purity is that the more we gaze upon jesus the more we become like him um not quick enough for, for as much as we would want but that's how we become more pure in our our kind of thoughts in our heart in our behavior is is to keep our eyes looking at him because actually when we do that we become we become enthralled by his character we want to be like him for any of our viewers now sam who might be struggling with this pollution struggling with this sin and battling with it and failing and constantly feeling that the accuser yep and yep. feeling condemned and guilty what what would you say to our viewers um you're not alone um in feeling that way every one of us does and and wonderfully what we see in christ is that there is always more forgiveness in him than there is sin in us there's always more cleanness in him than there is dirt in us um there's always more grace in him than there is guilt in us and so whatever we are aware of in our own hearts and in our own minds things that we've done maybe things that have been done to us that are causing us grief and shame those things will never be more powerful than jesus um ours is not going to be the sin that that finishes him off and is just too much for him to handle um so he's he's come not just to forgive us in some hypothetical sense but but to cleanse us uh, by giving us his own his own life and that's that's available to all of us and whether we're new to christian things whether we've been christians for decades uh we we won't exhaust his grace we can keep coming to him in our need and he will always provide for us sam would you pray for our viewers if we're struggling in these areas i would love to i would love to father we we are so grateful for jesus precisely because we we have such need for him father our hearts really are a mess 
when we understand them rightly. And yet, Jesus has come precisely because we are such high maintenance and needy sinners. And so, Father, we thank you that Jesus does have the power to clean our hearts, to give us back our humanity, to help us put our lives back together again. Father, we thank you that our sin is not bigger than than what Jesus can do for us. Uh, We thank you that he was willing to bear in himself our guilt and shame so that we could bear in ourselves his love and his light and his life. So please help each of us, Lord, to receive that gift, whether for the first time or to receive it afresh, um, day by day, moment by moment. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Sam. Thank you very much. And your most recent book, What God Has to Say About Our Bodies. What prompted you to write this book? Yeah, a couple of things. Um, Again, what I was doing in terms of evangelism, so many of the issues I see people feeling bruised about, um, confused about, have something to do with what does it mean for us to be embodied? Issues like gender gender identity or sexuality or body shame or eating disorders. Lots of these things actually stem from does does our body have any intrinsic value and meaning in itself? Um, And then secondly, just from my own experience as a pastor, realizing how how many pastoral situations were coming up that were something to do with the body. And realising that it's an area where I, I think our Catholic friends have been far more attentive than, than we have in terms of thinking through yes. a kind of theology of what it means for us to be embodied. And so I started to do some teaching on it. And the more I taught on it, the more I could see that this was, this was a big gap and a big need. And Jesus is good news in every area of life. He's, he's good news for our bodies. And it, it's wonderful to, to dig into the ways in which the Bible shows us that. And we need to hear that. Do you think, Sam, a lot of the issues that we're aware of today have actually always been aware? They've always been part of life and history, but maybe because of social media and the way that we communicate, everything's been magnified. Yeah. Or do you you think there's an emergence of something new? No, I think it's an intensification of, of what's always... Uh, people have always struggled to some extent with, with how we look and what, what we feel the standards of, of beauty are or whatever it might be. I think that has become far more intense in recent years because of social media, because of the internet. Um, I think that the standards we are being held to in terms of what a man is meant to look like or what a woman is meant to look like have become ever more unreachable and unrealistic. Um, I was <laughs> saying to a friend just recently, it, it feels like in the last 10 or 15 years, just from what, we, what we're presented with as a sort of the standard of beauty, it feels like all of us have got uglier um, in the past 10 years because the standard of beauty has become ever more unattainable. I mean, we're seeing images of people that aren't even real now. They're photoshopped or they're, they're being kind of messed about within a computer or it's someone has a particular physique because they actually just haven't eaten for seven months and they've been on a crazy training regime. We're, we're being presented with, with standards of, of beauty that are humanly unattainable. 
Um, and I think part of the, the effect of that is it, it's left a lot of people feeling even worse about the way they look. And so we, we need to know that our body matters to God, that he, he made it, that Christ has come to redeem it. And the gospel is, is such wonderfully good news here. So how should we therefore view our bodies in the light of what God says about us? Yeah, well, David says famously, I, I praise you for I have been fearfully and wonderfully made. And David would not have had a perfect body, um, but he could still say that God had fearfully and wonderfully made him. And that, that's true for us. Um, so w- our, our bodies are not accidental. Um, we are not a mistake. We're not an accident. We're not a blip. God has meant to make us and he's, he's handmade each of us. And more than that, we, we know that that Jesus has died for us, not just died for our soul, but died for everything about who we are. And one of the things that's often surprising for Christians is, you know, Paul says that, that our, our bodies now belong to Jesus and our bodies are going to be redeemed in the future by Jesus. Our, our God's eternal plan for us includes our bodies. Um, eternity future with, with Jesus will be embodied. And so as I, as I hurtle through my 40s, I'm, I'm encouraged to think that my best physical days are ahead of me, not behind me. Because one day I will be resurrected in the same way that Jesus was res- resurrected. And we'll have a, a, a body that will be perfectly suited to serving and glorifying Jesus. So the people that don't like their body that are struggling with their identity, what would you say to them? I would say to them, we need to, all of us struggle with this in some way, but we need to realise that we mustn't hate what God loves. And if if God made us, if he fearfully and wonderfully made us, and those words are so pregnant with, with significance, then God doesn't feel about our bodies the way that we do. And moreover, one of the deliberating things for me about being a Christian is if, if my body now belongs to Jesus, then the only person my body has to please is Jesus. And the body that's pleasing to Jesus is not necessarily the one you'll see on the cover of Men's Health or that will turn heads on a beach, but is, is the body that's offered to him. And so any of us right now in this very moment can have a body that is pleasing to God simply by offering all of who we are to him, uh, consecrating our bodies to him. As Paul says in Romans 12, offering our bodies is a living sacrifice. That is pleasing to Jesus. And if my body is therefore pleasing to Jesus, it slowly matters less to me whether I I measure up to whatever culture says a 46-year-old male is meant to look like. And what about, Sam, gender identity, people who are struggling with their gender? What would you say to them? Yeah, um, I think that the Bible gives us rich insights into what it means for us to have bodies, what it means for us to be male and female. It, It shows us how it is that we can feel so out of sorts with our bodies. Um, we see in the in 
the book of Romans that, that creation has been subjected to frustration that includes our bodies and therefore yes. we don't have a straightforward relationship with our bodies um, so I think that the message of Christianity should make us compassionate to, to friends of ours who wrestle with gender dysphoria but the, the gospel also shows us that the answer to our own bodily brokenness is not going to be found in what we can do to our bodies Yes, It's only going to be found in what Jesus has done with his body because he went through ultimate bodily brokenness for us. And he who knew no sin, we're told, became sin for us. In his flesh, he bore our sin. And that, that has got to be the ultimate dysphoria when the one who knew no sin became sin for us. And yet it's through that that we can have the hope that one day we will have full healing in our bodies. We will have a healed relationship with our bodies, but it can only come through what Jesus has done with his body. That was beautiful how you articulated that, Sam, uh, that it's the broken body of Jesus that can actually heal our own bodies. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what we need more than ever today. It is because the, the temptation is to think, I've, I've got to fix this myself. And, and no amount of what we do with our bodies is going to solve the fundamental issues of why we feel so out of sorts in the first place. Um, I can go to the gym any number of hours a week or I can add or subtract bits <laughs> to my body depending on what I feel it should look like. But that is not going to resolve the deeper issue that is troubling my heart, which is that we ultimately it all boils down to we, we're not... If, if we don't know our creator, we're never going to feel at home in our own flesh. Uh, we, we need to know the one who made us. Um, again, we need to hear the one who, who delighted in making us. Well, I think you, it's great to have somebody like you who has spent time thinking and processing this and, and able to clearly and concisely articulate the issues and um, how we need to respond. And I love your podcast. Tell us about your podcast. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've got a podcast, um, which I, I, I do with a dear friend of mine, Ray Ortland, who's a, who's a, uh, a wonderful sage, um, although he will kill me for saying that. Um, we have a podcast called You're Not Crazy. Um, it's ostensibly aimed at young pastors, but actually it's, it's for anyone who wants to see the church have it, just to see health in the local church. We've been saddened over the last few years to see so many instances of um, abuse and, and failings and church is, is becoming very unhealthy and unsafe. So the podcast really is a conversation about how can we make our churches places of, of gospel safety? Um, because as Ray often says, what, what all of us need is the gospel plus safety plus time. And that's what the church should be, um, a place where broken-hearted sinners can, can get their lives back. And so the, the podcast is, is how we can help our churches in, in every aspect of their being to be places where we see Jesus transforming our relationships and the gospel leaving a, a relational beauty in its wake. Wonderful. Sam, always a delight to be in conversation with you. You're a, a very gracious, gentle gentleman. And thank you for joining us on Facing the Canon. Oh, it's a joy. Thank you for having me.
I hope that has inspired you. It really has inspired me being in conversation with Sam Aubrey and trying to think through some of these complex issues that we all face at the moment in this world. I hope it's encouraged you and thank you for joining us on Facing the Canon. Please join us again. You've been listening to the J. John Podcast. To find out more about J. John's ministry, visit www.canonjjohn.com and follow him on social media. If you could ask God anything, what would you ask? Life is full of big questions. In his brand new book, Will I Be Fat in Heaven? and Other Curious Questions, J. John answers 38 questions that we ask about God, the Bible, the world, and everything in between. How can God the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit be one? Why do we believe the Bible is true? Will we recognize family and friends in heaven? And life's ultimate question, does God care about me? Get your copy now at canonjjohn.com.